Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. If sola scriptura is true, then Protestantism is true, period. If it was our Lord's intention for Scripture to function as the sole and sufficient infallible rule of faith and practice for the church he established, then Protestantism is true. While that statement might have come from the lips of Joe or myself, actually, funny enough, that is from Catholic.com in an article against Sola Scriptura. So, Joe, one of the things we want to do in this episode of this series of Catholicism Examine is to look at the doctrine of Sola Scriptura, as it's been called, the colloquial term, I guess we would say for it, and see whether or not it's true. Because according to Catholics themselves, if this doctrine is true, therefore Protestants are right, they are wrong, and what we are protesting against, we should probably continue to protest against. So with me as always to discuss this very, very important topic is the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Praise God. And before we carry on, because you've got some great questions we need to look at, just to define our terms, when we say uh, sola scriptura, it came out of the Reformation, and it's a Latin term that literally in the Latin means by scripture alone. You know, that's our final authority. It's God's word. He has authority over us. Uh, our fellowship, Blessed Hope Chapel, doesn't have ultimate authority over a soul. Uh, no church that claims to be the true church has authority over any individual soul. Uh, every, all doctrine, whether it's you know whether it's doctrine or practice, it has to be based on what God's word says. Now we can say, "Hey, thus saith the Scripture," and to the degree that a church lines up with scriptures, to the degree that that church share, shares in the Lord's authority and submission to God. But to just say, "Hey, you know what? We think you should bow down to Mary." And, 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 and lash yourself 50 times and, you know, you'll get in, you get out of purgatory sooner or something like that. That's not based on scripture and that's based on a lie. Yeah, I think one of the most important things that hopefully we can bring out here in this is, as Joe mentioned, a proper definition of understanding what we're trying to say when we ask the question as to who are authority, who has the authority over the church, what defines what the church is. It's really who defines what the church is. We're not talking about, we're talking about the means by which he does define, but who defines what the church is? Who defines what church discipline is? Who defines exactly what the church is supposed to look like in its conduct, in the way it practice, practices the faith that Jesus Christ, that as it says, that was once and for all delivered unto the saints. So we want to talk about specifically this understanding of authority. And that's what this episode's going to be about, because that's what it ultimately comes down to. And so the first thing, Joe, that we want to do is go over what does Rome say regarding the scriptures and the church and who has ultimate authority as to who and how you read the scriptures and what sort of authority they have as the final authority versus the church. So I'm going to read directly from the Council of Trent, Session 4, Concerning the Addition and the Use of the Sacred Books. This is an authoritative Roman Catholic council that stands to this day, uh, vouchsafed again by Vatican II, saying 
Councilor Trent said, stays as official Catholic doctrine. This is what they believe in regard to who has the ultimate authority. And just as of yesterday, if you guys didn't hear, Pope Francis says we need to go back to Vatican II and brought yeah. that up once again. So just so you know, that affirms the very thing that I'm going to be reading from right now. Furthermore, in order to restrain petulant spirits, it decrees that no one relying on his own skill shall in matters of faith and of morals pertaining to the edification of Christian doctrine, resting the sacred scripture to his own senses, presume to interpret the said sacred scripture contrary to the sense which Holy Mother Church, who is to judge of the true sense and interpretation of the Holy Scriptures. And Joe, it's really interesting because this decree here and other statements made by different popes actually had the laity not reading Scripture. Yeah, It had the laity not allowed to write books. Anything that was written concerning Scripture needed to be looked at through the lenses of what they call the Holy Mother Church. It's the Dark Ages. <laughs> exactly. And so, Joe, this danger here, this statement comes with a lot of danger to it with the practice of them walking the scriptures as they are the dog walker of the scriptures, letting you know exactly what the scriptures indeed say. Yeah, especially in the context of the fact that the Roman Catholic Church has nearly a hundred different false doctrines, uh, many would argue more than a hundred, that contradict scripture. And traditions that oftentimes come years later, the Assumption of Mary doesn't come until like, it's ratified as doctrine in 1950, not too long ago, you know, uh, just before I was born, that became an official doctrine in the church. And we want to believe that that, they want us to believe that that trumps scripture uh, and that we must go with that above what we believe the scriptures say about Mary. This is very serious, Chad. So uh, I think there's a lot of scriptures that are very clear that uh, that teach sola scriptura. Uh, there's no doubt about it because the apostles, uh, you know, constantly appeal to scripture. Jesus himself you know, the Lord says in the Old Testament, he puts his word as high as himself. Back in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, and quoting him from the Old Testament, God swears by himself. He, that's his, He's the ultimate authority. He doesn't swear by the Catholic Church. He swears by himself because he's the ultimate authority. And this is his uh, his, his God-breathed word, you know, uh, theonoustos. And it means God-breathed. And actually, the scriptures call it just that. So when you look at the scriptures and you read it, you're like, over and over and over again, you're like, Lord says, test everything by his word, you know? And here's a few scriptures. You know, Jesus said, as many of you know, Matthew 24, 35, one of my favorite verses in Matthew 24, and I have a lot of favorite verses in Matthew 24, but he says, heaven and earth will pass away. That's a big deal. But my words will never pass away. And in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and the the religious leaders because they were adding on to the Old Testament scripture. Uh, contradicting it with their traditions. And he said specifically, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And I know, Chad, we're going to investigate that a little bit more later. But uh, Chad, you referenced a really a really wonderful scripture uh, that we probably both have memorized because it's such an important scripture. That's Jude 3, where Jude, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, he says he, he, he commands us to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once for all delivered unto the saints, right? And then he warns the very next verse, for certain men have crept in unaware, turning the grace of God into license for morality and denying the Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So uh, there's false teachings coming in. So in that context, uh, on the basis of combating their false teachings, 
we've received this body of faith. And sometimes, Chad, you, as you know, when we see uh, the faith mentioned in Scripture, oftentimes when there's not a, a hope before there or a, or a definite article in the Greek, uh, it's speaking of personal faith. Not always. Sometimes it's speaking of the body of Christian doctrine. But uh, almost probably every commentator agrees that when he's saying earthly contend for the faith here in uh, in Jude 1.3, he's talking about the body of Christian doctrine, which was once for all delivered unto the saints. Guess what, brothers and sisters? Uh, the faith, which is the rule of faith and practice, which is God breathed, the word of God was delivered to us hundreds of years before the Roman Catholic Church even formed under Constantine and you know Augustine and and those folks. So Paul says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, and talking about the Church of Thessalonica, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, because the word of men doesn't have authority, guys, but as what it really is, the word of God, which I love this, which is at work in you believers, because it works effectually, as the King James says, in the hearts of those who believe, which is part of the the self-authentication of Scripture as the Holy Spirit bears witness to us that we're reading the Word of God, which is something we'll get into later. But the Scripture is not the Word of popes and cardinals and bishops and many of the offices that aren't even mentioned in Scripture, which come later. It's a lot of fake traditions, right? I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, and, and this is to be even applied to Paul, and he applies it to other teachers. He says that we're not, he says, do not go beyond what is written. Now, when Chad, in the next question, which I know you're going to get into tradition, that's exactly what the Roman Catholic Church does. They constantly go beyond what's written. And then we say, wait a minute, man, the scriptures say this. That's contradicting the word of God. Then they say, well, we actually are the only ones who can interpret the word of God, so we believe that this is true. Therefore, the scriptures, you're just misunderstanding and so forth. By the way, Chad, you and I love, and many of people in our audience, we love Bible commentaries. There's some amazing Bible commentaries. You'll be hard-pressed, brothers and sisters, uh, to find Roman Catholic Bible commentaries. Try to find how many Roman Catholic Bible commentaries you can find on the book of Acts, for instance. Or they're just partying around because they're not real scriptural as a people. Sadly, uh, Isaiah, I love eight, Isaiah 18, 19, and 20 because they're talking to the dead. Kind of like Catholics do when they talk to Mary and the saints, so-called. Is uh, Isaiah says if they don't speak according to the word, it's because there's no light uh-huh. in them, right? They don't have any dawn. They don't have any light. Uh, I love Second John. It says that they're to abide in the doctrine of Christ, and anyone who does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. Rome does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. They don't even believe the atonement is finished. They believe Jesus is perpetually being sacrificed at the Mass and so forth, and they have a different Jesus in some ways, you know. And Second Timothy 3, 15 and 16, and how from childhood Paul writes to Timothy that you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You, you mean, Paul, he didn't need the Roman Catholic Church to be wise unto salvation? That's right. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work as long as he checks in with the Roman Catholic Church. No, doesn't say that part at the end, okay? It's it's sufficient, Uh for faith and practice, Chad. That's why we believe it's a sufficient guide, gives us all the ultimate answers for belief and practice, and that we are bound by Holy Scripture. When the Roman Catholic Church enters in all these traditions, and we have these warnings from Scripture not to believe these things that go beyond the Word. And our hearts break for Roman Catholics who are believing all these traditions that you do not see rooted in apostolic teaching. All the, the Assumption of Mary, the Immaculate Conception, you'll never find that in Scripture. And you'll see they come hundreds of years later 
And why would you believe something that men make up years and years later when you have corrupt popes over and over again that are fornicating and committing adultery and all kinds of heinous things, and we're supposed to believe that they're infallible when they speak as cathedral, and when they break, make up new doctrines that are nowhere found in the apostolic writings and the teachings of Jesus, we're going to go with Jesus. And we encourage you to do that as well because your salvation depends on knowing Jesus and following him and not the false teachings of men. You know, and Joe, one of the scary parallels that I found when studying Rome, when reading through Trent, and when looking at the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church is that so much of this language, just like we just read, so much of this language is so clearly in parallel with that of the doctrines of not only, obviously it's Rome, but we're talking about Mormonism, we're talking about Jehovah's Witness, and so even all the Islam. Do the same thing. Yeah, the, the danger here is that parallel of you can't see the scriptures without our lens. And that right there is so unbelievably dangerous. One, just from the very scripture that you just read from, Joe, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, not to mention the verse before at 15. I wonder if, you know, if Timothy, you know, I wonder if his grandma and mother, if they were, you know, cardinals or if they had no. certain creeds or doctrines they were able, or were they able to share with him the scripture that was able to make him wise unto salvation? They could have been burned at the stake in certain eras of the Roman Catholic Church for doing that. Without a doubt. scripture. And you see, you see that going on. But ultimately, over and over again, as you already quoted from Matthew chapter 15, that the doctrines of men, that people teach these doctrines of men, and they make them as if they are the commandments of God, and they therefore nullify the word of God. They make it void. It's really heartbreaking. And Rome is not the first one. They aren't the last one to do this. In fact, this is exactly, over and over again, when you look at cult-like behavior, Cult-like behavior tells you, you can't understand this unless you see it through my lens. You can see that from false teachers from pulpits all the time. You can see that over and over again. And I'm going to read straight from the Watchtower Society. Now, the Watchtower Society is the Jehovah's Witness through Charles Taze Russell. And the Watchtower Society is the lenses by which you, according to them, need to see the scriptures in order to understand them. And those aren't my words. This is straight from the Watchtower Society themselves. Quote, Thus the Bible is an organizational book and belongs to the Christian organization as an organization, not to individuals. Regardless of how sincerely they may believe that they can interpret the Bible, for this reason, the Bible cannot be properly understood without Jehovah's visible organization in mind. And the Jehovah's Witness are not the only ones who have this viewpoint. Roman Catholics are not the only ones that have this viewpoint. This right here is from the 1992 First Presidency Statement on the King James Version of the Bible. And this is signed off by Ezra Taft Benson, Gordon B. Hinckley, and Thomas S. Monson. The most reliable way to measure the accuracy of any biblical passage is not by comparing different texts, but by comparison with the Book of Mormon and modern-day revelations. Now, Jehovah's Witness, Mormonisms, and Romanites, none of them are the only ones to do this. This is going down over and over again, and in fact, even when it comes to Muslims. When, you, when a Muslim looks at the Bible, they will say that the Bible is accurate as long as it's interpreted properly. The Bible is accurate 
as long as it's interpreted through the lenses of Islam. So when the Quran quotes the Bible, that means it's correct. When Jesus makes the clear claim that he is the great I am, that he is the son of God, then it's wrong. Why? Because it contradicts what the Quran teaches. The same problem that Mormons have when it comes reading through Isaiah, the same problem that the watchtower has when it has to look at John chapter 2 and Jesus saying that he will raise himself up from the dead when Romans chapter 10 makes it clear that Jehovah raises Jesus from the dead and they actually call Jesus Jehovah in their own terrible translation. But what Mm -hmm. takes place is this same lie that once you are able to see the scriptures through our lens and we can negate all the things that disagree with our doctrine, then you can fully understand the scriptures. And Joe, that cult-like behavior, I don't care how ancient it is, it's dangerous, it's ugly, and it nullifies the very words of Jesus Christ himself. Yeah, no doubt. And the parallels are uncanny. I mean, you just, uh, when you look at the fact that, you know, you mentioned uh, the Watchtower they claim that they've got their doctrines from angels, you know, in the past, in some of their periodicals. Uh, they've claimed that if you have the Watchtower magazines and the Bible, and you don't have your Bible, now you just have the Watchtower, you'll have the light of God. But if you have your Bible and you jettison, the Watchtower helps their interpretations, in two years you'll be in darkness. Uh, this is wicked, man. They call themselves the Jehovah's faithful slave. Uh, which is, by the way, way out of context when they're looking at Luke chapter uh, 12 there. Uh, and also it's important to understand when you look at the, with Mormonism, and Chad, you're exactly right. Uh, I mentioned in one of our recent episodes that I have Joseph Smith's new translations of the Bible, and he actually takes the Bible and tries to bring corrections where it contradicts Mormonism. And in Romans chapter 4, where it talks about how the Lord justifies the wicked through faith, he adds the word, the Lord does not justify the wicked, right? In other words, because he believes to get to the celestial kingdom, you have to basically earn your way there by tithing and everything else to the Mormon church. Uh, So it's interesting. You also have Mary Baker Eddy's so-called keys to scripture, another cult, you know, religious science and Christian science. You're dependent upon their writings and they deny. These guys all deny, by the way, uh, scripture ultimately. So we're looking at heresies upon heresies. And once you start, if you relegate the authority of your mind, you check, they want you to check your brain at the door. And not test things, what they're saying by scripture. And just say, whatever you say is gospel. And we tell you, I always say, if you listen to me preach on Wednesdays or Sundays, I've been saying since I began to preach, man, test everything that I say by scripture. Last thing I want to do is lead anybody away. In fact, if I'm off in any area, praise God, I invite any kind of correction. man. If you, if you think I've uh, misunderstood a text, by all means, the Bible says a wise man accepts correction, but uh, it says a stupid man rejects correction. And it's interesting, Chad, because this whole idea about papal infallibility, about Rome being the infallible church. In fact, it's interesting, the scriptures never predict an infallible church. They claim to be an infallible church in all their doctrines, which is just laughable. It wasn't so tearful, so sad, because so many souls are being damned. They claim to be the infallible church, but uh, so you really can't question what they're teaching. But Chad, you know that wasn't the Apostle Paul's heart. You know, uh, in the book of Acts, or the book of Galatians chapter 1, before you get to Acts, Paul says, which is really ironic because he's warning those who are believing that you have to earn your salvation through circumcision and works of the law in the Old Testament. And Paul says, if we, now we always emphasize the angel part of that verse, 
but we, we dare not miss the we there. If we or an angel from heaven preaches to you another gospel, that which we preach unto you, let them be anathematized. Anathema, the Greek, cursed, which is so ironic because the Roman Catholic Church hasn't just added things uh, from the Mosaic law, like you've got to keep the Sabbath, which is not part of the New Testament teaching. They've also added on that you have to keep all these different traditions, which we'll get into in a little bit, which is just grotesque, to be saved. And Paul pronounced an anathema on them, which is really interesting because the Council of Trent pronounced an anathema on the Apostle Paul by saying anyone who teaches that you're justified by faith alone and, and not through works is cursed or cursed or anathema. And that would, and Paul would fall under that. Jesus would fall under that. Of course, the Roman Catholic Church has no authority condemning Jesus or Paul. And they'd say, well, Jesus and Paul didn't really mean what it seems like they're saying there when Paul says you're saved by grace through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Oh, he really doesn't mean that. And you guys just don't you understand what we teach here. No, I'm going to stick with Paul, man. I'm not going to get close to what you teach. So uh, what's interesting, Paul in the book of Acts, chapter 17, uh, he was, they were in Berea and uh, the Bereans were testing what Paul was saying. And they were searching the scriptures to see if what he was saying was true because he was teaching that Jesus was the Mashiach, the Messiah of the Old Testament, and that salvation comes through grace, by grace through faith. And as they taught that, they were searching the scripture day after day. They were looking at what he said. Let's see if what you're saying is here. And they were blown away. And they accepted the word of God with all readiness. And the scriptures tell us, and it's just beautiful, uh, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, that the Bereans were considered more noble-minded than those of Thessalonica because they searched the scripture daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. That's what we do. That's what we want to be good Bereans. Can you imagine Paul saying, how dare you guys search the Old Testament? Don't you realize I'm an apostle, one of the 12, one of the apostles of the church, not one of the 12, but one of the uh, apostles of the church, and how dare you check me out? You're anathematized because you're questioning a representative of the Roman Catholic Church. No, he wasn't Roman Catholic, first of all, right? Never heard of the Roman Catholic Church then, right? They would have been, he would have been, he didn't condemn them. They were considered noble-minded because they tested what he was saying in the light of Scripture. Yeah, guess what, man? You test Rome and you're saying, hey, you guys seem to be off here. Like, it doesn't, it says not to talk to dead people. You know, just go to God, it says in here. And where are you taking me? We're going to burn you at the stake, man. Because you are, you shouldn't even have that Bible. No wonder they kept the Bible from people, man, because it revealed all their ugliness, all the wickedness of Rome. And we love people that are trapped in the Catholic Church. We look at them as victims. We're wanting to rescue them out of the fire. So if you're in the Roman Catholic Church, we love you. But if you're in the Watchtower or Mormonism, it's not we're attacking you. We're attacking the lies that are deceiving you, saying, man, you need to you need to adhere to sola scriptura by scripture alone. God's word, his word is authoritative. And every cult and every false religion, including the Quran, uh, Islam, and the Quranic uh, verses there uh, are, are destroyed when you look at them in light of the word of God. Yeah, Joe, and one of the things I've, really found interesting when just looking at canon as a whole and specifically when you deal with Acts chapter 17 there you kind of get to see the first one of one of the first places where we can actually look and see an identifiable property that makes something part of scripture and not and one of those is does it line up with that which has already been revealed by the Lord amen and Paul his teaching along with Peter along with James along with Jude along with John um, Matthew Mark and Luke and so forth all of their teachings lined up with what God had already revealed, the promising of the Messiah that was to come and the revealing of that Messiah to us because God had already spoken many times and in many different ways, but now speaks directly through his son Amen. as he appointed the apostles to have this duty of the keys of the kingdom of the church so that God would plant his church to the apostles 
And we would have apostolic succession through the word which was given to us, the covenantal documents of the New Testament. That's what you read is the new covenant. That's what we're reading every day. And if it didn't line up with what was already revealed in God's word, it would Amen. have gotten thrown Absolutely. out. And in fact, good point. as we look at Acts 17 and you look at Paul specifically, that he was getting checked by that very thing. Because we don't want any tradition, and every one of us comes with a tradition of some sort. If some of you got saved in some arena, you probably have a tradition, and some of those things get, you know, thrown away uh, as you read the, the scriptures. Scripture, you got to get rid of traditions, man. And some the of traditions keep, that contradict scripture, you got to get rid of. Yeah, amen. And the thing is, though, is that we need to look at them in light of what? In light of the ultimate authority, which is not so so low ecclesia it's not the church which dictates what the word of god says but ultimately it is the word of god itself as it does self-authenticate and we'll talk a little bit about that later but these are not just simply my opinions these are not just joe's opinions once again as joe already mentioned check all this according to not the doctors of rome not some you know historical survey of certain church fathers to make it lean and sound like, oh, they kind of teach what we taught here, even though sometimes they're completely silent on the matter, or sometimes they teach correctly contradictory, uh, completely contradictory to what you're already saying. But here's what Jesus warned of the Pharisees. And I have to say, and this is not only my opinion, it's the opinion of many, many scholars as well, when you look at the parallels between the Pharisees and the Roman Catholic Church today— it is mind-boggling. Yeah, it absolutely is. It is mind-boggling. And I, I want to read right from Mark chapter 7. And Joe had already mentioned Matthew chapter 15, which deals with similar, uh, very similar text. But I'm going to start right in the first verse. And it says, The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him, that is Jesus, when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have perceived in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But eat their bread with impure hands. And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And he was also saying to them, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. And now, Joe, when I see those words of Jesus, and when I see all of tra the tradition, and that's part of the Catholic doctrine of authority, tradition is a part of it. But when you see Jesus speaking out against it over and over again like this, so clearly, and, we're, and, and, it's, and it's so heartbreaking to see that, and then to, to read through things like Trent and even other councils as well, or doctrines and catechisms and so forth, and reading through those things and seeing, man, just right there in Mark, right there in Matthew 15, we see him so clearly warning against this sort of behavior and then even saying, guess what? It's not just my opinion, which it's Jesus. It could be all his opinion and it's always right. 
but also this was already prophesied of you. Isaiah said it rightly of those who would do yeah. such sort of behavior. Yeah, that's amazing and, and amazing points. Uh, it's powerful when you think about this is the parallels are very, very eerie in a way because you have the body of biblical truth in the Old Covenant, right? From Genesis to Malachi, and you have the Word of God, yet the, you have the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Herodians, Zealots, all kinds of different groups, and many of them were adding on to Scripture their oral traditions, and then when their oral traditions were in conflict with the Word of God, they would go with their oral traditions. Uh, and Jesus checks these religious leaders on this phenomena that's taking place. In fact, it's very, very interesting. The rabbis would, over and over, they'd say, you know, rabbits, rabbi so-and-so says this, and rabbi so-and-so says that, you know. Uh, you know, Hillel says this, and, you know, Shammai says that. And you know what Jesus would say? You don't see him quoting rabbis. You know what he says over and over again? Over and over and over again. It is written. It is written. It is written, you know. And he appeals to Scripture over and over again. And others, other times, because he's the Son of God, and he said, you know, Moses prophesied that one greater than him would come, and when he comes, hear him. So he comes as the ultimate authority who had inspired the Word of God, who spoke to Moses through the burning bush and said, I am that I am. Now he comes to bring the new covenant, God incarnate, right, to die for our sins and so forth. So he also says, you know, you say, you know, this, and he quoted a lot of times, he quoted their traditions, but I say unto you. So that's why I started this off with Chad, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Our authority is the words of Christ and the words of Christ that are given by his Holy Spirit through the apostles and, and the prophets and so forth. So we go to the scripture and we say with Jesus, it is written. And it's interesting too, because what happens is these oral traditions, Chad, they become codified and become doctrines among many of the Jews in what's known as the Talmud. Even though there's there, the Talmud is rife with contradictions, with rabbis contradicting each other, fighting against each other, we're told that, oh, but it's still somehow the word of God. Really? No, it's not. Well, the Roman Catholic Church does that. They contradict. Even their, their traditions through the years contradict each other, you know, and over and over and contradict the word of God. So we have to go with Scripture. There's a ton of Roman Catholic traditions that contradict Scripture. Let me just point out some of them. And right now, you're going you're gonna to be in disbelief unless you know of all these Catholic doctrines. You're going to say, wow, I didn't realize how many Roman Catholic doctrines contradicted the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, yet claimed to be true. I'll just go through some of them. The Catholic Church, they teach, is the one true church. Uh, infallibility of the Catholic Church, another false doctrine. They're, they've been fallible over and over again. The Roman Catholic Church is necessary for salvation, another lie. Only the Roman Catholic Church has the authority to interpret Scripture. Where does it say that in the Bible? Never, never. The Pope is the head of the church. Where does it say the Pope is the head of the church and has the authority of Christ? Where does it say that? Where is he called the vicar of Christ, the one that stands instead of Christ? Uh, next, the sacred tradition is equal to Scripture. That's a lie, or even greater than as they, they treat it, practically speaking. Uh, forgiveness of sin uh, and salvation comes through not only faith, but faith and works, that your works are meritorious. Another lie. Catholic Catechism of the Church 2068 says this, so that all men may attain salvation through faith and through the observance of the commandments. Uh, next, salvation comes through baptism. That's when you're really born again. Not the scriptures don't even teach infant baptism. Next, uh, you must be receive the Eucharist to be saved because they teach it literally becomes the body of Christ, which is ridiculous because when Jesus was there, handed out to his disciples, said, hey, take this. Obviously, it wasn't literally his body because his body wouldn't even, even die yet. He was right there with them, right? 
You must keep the other sacraments to be saved. You must obey the decrees of the Roman Catholic Church to be saved. You, you can get rid of a lot of your sins that you don't have to really pay off uh, in purgatory by wearing this brown scapular when you die. Ridiculous. Uh, nowhere in Scripture, and just bizarre that they'd even accept these kinds of things. The full bed of salvation is only through the Roman Catholic Church. Grace can be merited or earned. Uh, the Catechism says in 2010, moved by the Holy Spirit and by charity, we can merit for ourselves, that means earn, we can merit for ourselves and for others, the grace is needed for our sanctification. You can see our first episode in this series to get a lot of detail on that. Next, the merit of Mary and the saints can be applied to Catholics and others. Wow. The merits of the saints can be applied to Catholics and others. Next is penance is necessary. Not repentance. Penance, it's doing certain works, is necessary for salvation. That means after you've sinned, to, you, you're told to do certain things, certain amount of prayers and so forth, and even things you can do to get rid of those sins. Purgatory, where you burn off your sins. Next, indulgences. The Catechism of the Catholic Church 1498 says, through indulgences, the faithful can obtain the remission and temporal punishment of, of temporal punishment resulting from sin for themselves and also for the souls in purgatory. Just ridiculous. Praying in repetition. Next, calling on the priest as father. Next, Mary is a perpetual virgin. The immaculate conception of Mary. The bodily assumption of Mary. Mary is a mediatrix. The Catholic Church Catechism, therefore the Blessed Virgin Mary is invoked in the church under the titles advocate, helper, uh, benefactress, and mediatrix. That's what they teach. She's another mediator. Thus saith the Lord. There's one mediator between God and man, man, Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2, 5. A few more. Mary brings us the gifts of eternal salvation. Mary delivers souls from death, praying to Mary. Priests cannot marry, uh, praying uh, to the saints, dead saints. The communion elements become the actual body and blood of Christ. And Chad, before we go on, what blows me away is even their contra- even their, their traditions have been, there's several, we could spend a whole episode on their contradictions within their own traditions, how they contradict each other. And I'll just give you a few really quickly. You know, Augustine accepted the uh, Apocrypha. Yeah. But guess what? Jerome rejected it. And Chad's going to have some things to say about that later. Uh, the assumption of Mary, that she was assumed to heaven bodily, that was uh, rejected by a pope around the 6th century, but accepted in 1950, just a few years back, as though it was true. And now that's considered Catholic doctrine. The Immaculate Conception, that was rejected by Aquinas, but it's accepted by the Roman Catholic Church today. So what, you know, what tradition am I supposed to accept? In light of Scripture, none of these traditions will I accept. You know, it's really interesting, Joe, because you had mentioned that specifically when it comes to Augustine, that his fingerprint, when it comes to the acceptance of these apocryphal texts, that it took, you know, until the Council of Trent, until, you know, the the Roman Catholic Church had, was able to decide what was Scripture. Yeah. And it's really, really interesting because I'm going to read from what the church, the anathema that they have for those who do not accept books like Tobit and, and Maccabees and so forth as scripture. We're not saying not as historical books, but do not accept them as scripture. And this is what they actually say. If anyone receives not as sacred and canonical the said books entire with all their parts as they have been used to be read in the Catholic Church— and as they are contained in the old Latin Vulgate edition, and knowingly and deliberately contemn the traditions aforesaid, let him be anathema. Now that's a problem because this is in the <laughs> yeah, preface. <laughs> this is in the preface of the Vulgate, the, Vulgate, yeah. the very thing By that Jerome. they are quoting. As then, the church reads Judith, Tobit, and the books of Maccabees. 
but does not admit them among the canonical scriptures. So let it read these two volumes for the edification of the people, not to give authority to doctrines of the church. And you wonder why he might have said this? Well, we could read something like Tobit 12.9 and realize real quick why this wouldn't be accepted. For almsgiving saves from death and purges all sin. Those who give alms will enjoy a full life. Work salvation. That's not even the Mosaic law right there. This is That's a tradition. This is incredible. And Joe, if we made a graphic right now uh, of the New Testament, and we started with Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John, then went through all of the letters, the epistles, and then went through the book of Revelation, I can show you with, with, with my hands how many times that the New Testament quotes from any of these apocryphal books as scripture. Yeah. Do you know how many, Joe? Oh, yeah. Zero. Yeah, precisely zero. Yeah. Precisely zero. And here is one thing that that really is frustrating. When, when Paul wrote to the Romans, he talked about how the Jews, what advantage is it to be a Jew? Well, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. Think mm-hmm. about that. They were entrusted with the scriptures that we have. Guess what? Guess how many times the Babylonian Talmud quotes the Apocrypha? Oh, zero times. Yeah, it wasn't considered authoritative. Guess how many times the Targums comment on apocryphal text? Mm-hmm. Those are commentaries on the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Precisely zero. Over and over again, when you see in the New Testament, over and over again, when we see Jesus bring it up, you see him on the road of Emmaus, to Emmaus, you see him talking about it. There is a threefold understanding of canon mm-hmm. Absolutely. through the law, not a fourfold, the prophets, and the Psalms or the writings. Mm-hmm. Over and over again, you see this. The apocrypha is not there. Yeah, it yeah. is not there. Yeah, Jesus quotes from Genesis over and over again: "Two shall become one flesh." He even quotes from books that the, the, the liberals love to attack, like Jonah. You know, references Jonah. He references Daniel. You know. Uh, over and over again, he quotes from all three. I'm glad you brought that up, Chad, because he quotes from the Law, the Prophets, and the, and the, and the Psalms. And the Apocrypha is this big body of work. It's not that he doesn't just quote from a couple books in the Apocrypha. He never quotes a single time from any of the Apocrypha. And it was understandable that he wouldn't because the Jews did not consider that as part of the canon of Scripture. Hence, what you were mentioning about them not quoting from them in their commentaries as Scripture. To this day, you won't see the Apocrypha accepted by Jews as scripture. Uh, so you don't have Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament quoting from the Apocrypha. You don't have, uh, you know, the Jews considering it part of scripture, yet you're condemned if you don't hold to it. Are we to believe, now this is kind of interesting, when that anathema rolled down and thundered down, not from heaven, you know, but from Rome, uh, the condemnation upon those who say that it's not scripture, are we to believe that the author of the Vulgate, the Roman Catholic, I believe he's a saint in the Roman Catholic Church, that all of a sudden when they gave out that declaration, that Jerome just from heaven, went to hell. I'm not saying where he is, you know, I'm just saying Roman Catholic Church, he's like a saint, you know, or very revered, right? And all of a sudden he would come under the condemnation of that anathema because he said in the preface to the Roman Catholic Vulgate that we don't regard it as scripture. And because, and guess what? That shows you. That shows you because he was on the heel of the early church fathers. His early church fathers, uh, you know, uh, the church as a whole, was never widely ever accepted uh, the, the apocrypha. And by the way, Chad, if almsgiving merited your salvation, you know, then that publican what, that Jesus didn't left justified, but the, the Pharisee beat his, who, who did beat his chest, but said, I fast twice a week and I give to the poor. He went to have had, Jesus said he didn't leave justified. Or Cronius, he was giving out alms. He went to have to have the gospel preached to him because guess what? He would already been meriting salvation. 
We needed the gospel. It's through the shed blood of Christ and his death and finished work on the cross, his glorious resurrection, that we obtain salvation by his grace through faith. And if we truly understood the reason why they wanted those books in there, because this is a late edition from them, as you mentioned, and this will kind of give us a good bridge into the last section of, of this, which is the difference between a historical canon and a theological canon. And we would hold to a theological canon understanding that there is a historical aspect to looking at when the canon of Scripture was received. Now, the canon canon just simply means, and that's with one and not two ands. We're not trying to shoot anything here, uh, mm-hmm. except we try to shoot down some of the claims of Rome. But uh, nonetheless, canon here just deals with a rule or a standard. So when it comes to yeah. uh, Scripture here, the measurement of Scripture, we look at this as a theological discussion. Because the very scripture that you have already quoted, Joe, from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that says that all of scripture, all of graphe is theonustos, right? All of it is God-breathed, that we believe without a doubt that God has spoken. When Jesus quoted from the Old Testament over and over again, for it is written, and a lot of that was to combat what everything else was being said and whatever was being taught, because it is written. When he combated when he combated Satan himself, it was, for it is written. When he said we are going to be sanctified, in John 17, 17, Amen. before he went to the cross, said, sanctify them in thy truth, thy word is truth. And if we look at this and understand this, when we go back and look at the history, that we won't look at it and say, oh, I need to find the exact time that every book was accepted, and therefore now I understand when it became Scripture, but rather they are discovering that which is Scripture. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton never invented gravity, right? He discovered that gravity existed. In the same way, when we look at the Gospel of John, when John was writing the Gospel of John, before the ink was dry, it was already theonustos. It was already God-breathed, and no church, no council, no decree made it so, ever ever, ever. And these are dangerous things for somebody to try to say, and they will say this, by the way, we gave you the table of contents. It's from the Holy Catholic Church. It's so That's ridiculous. where you got your table of contents. They didn't come around to hundreds of years after the scripture was written. And when Peter is talking about Paul's scripture and how even after Paul has rebuked him in the, with regard to the church of Galatia, and Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 3 how the unlearned twist the scriptures distort them. and they distort the scriptures as they do, you know, he says they twist Paul's teachings as they do the other scriptures. He's calling Paul's writing scripture. Catholic Church didn't have to tell us Paul's writings were scripture three centuries or four centuries later. They already were scripture because it's the word of God. And if you read the scripture, they were accepting it. The New Testament church was accepting this as the word of God. In the first century, the New Testament books were already considered scripture. You have to wait till the Catholic church says that. Like Chad said with your illustration, I was going to use a diamond, but uh, a great illustration is is the one you had just used. Uh, he, he discovered, Newton discovers gravity. That didn't make gra- now gravity exist. Now you all are subject to gravity because gravity exists now since Newton discovered it. Now you've got to be careful you don't fall off a building. No, you have to be careful before you cough off a building whether you know gravity exists or not. You know you're going to fall down and hit the ground. Whether you know the Bible is the Word of God or not, it's the Word of God. And guess what? They didn't have to find out later. They were already interacting with Scripture as the Word of God. I think that's very important. And I think it's also important that we understand this, and that is that when you look at Scripture, how did the early church accept certain 
biblical books as doctrine. I like what Michael Kruger writes, and uh, you know, and he he writes a, a amazing book called Canon Revisited, and he basically talks about three basic things. Chad, and you've you've interviewed him, and you've read his stuff, and and uh, I like the way he's very. And there's great books on Canon if you want to check out, like by F. F. Bruce and others. But I think Kruger is a great a great place to go because he he it's it's not too erudite, not over your head. Yeah. It's written maybe at a college level, you know. But you can understand if you're a high school student, just might have to read a few things, or you might be super bright and might be really easy for you. But he looks at a few different things that they were looking for, and one was uh, is apostolic origins. That means that it, that it was written by the apostles or their closest associates and understood to be inspired by the Holy Spirit as scripture. He also talks about uh, basically divine qualities in the scripture, where there's the pulsation of uh, of God's uh, signature. I call it God's signature in scripture. And mm-hmm. the same thing, though, is you can see within the scripture, whether it's prophetic declarations that are true, you know, come to pass, or a myriad of different ways God reveals himself in scripture. And then the third uh, thing, and these are like three strands that are intertwined, right? As he presents them as uh, you know, apostolic origins, uh, divine signature, as he puts it, divine qualities. And number three, they were corporately accepted by the early church. You see, uh, and that's these letters, like Paul talks about his letter to the Colossians being passed around. And that's why you have over twenty-five thousand manuscripts of the New Testament books, over around about close to six thousand in Greek, over twenty-five thousand when you look at Coptic and you look at uh, Latin and so forth. And, 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 and Armenian, uh, it's quite amazing because they were circulating so radically, and many of those are from the second and third century, and that's a blow mind. And then uh, what Kruger also points out, which is good, is is that uh, there's a testimony of the Holy Spirit within the believer that this is the Word of God. And I think that goes back to the scripture that my brother, uh, who's staying at our house with his wife, uh, Ted and Linda, uh, said, and I just thought, Ted, I know it's so amazing, you have no clue what I'm going to be talking about at our podcast. He says, Joe, this scripture's on my heart. I felt the Lord wanted to give it to you. We didn't talk about what I was talking about today. And again, I, I end my part with that and we'll say a little bit more, but Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work and you who believe. And then Ted said to me, he goes, Joe, I want to give this scripture because I was reading this and I just burned up my heart for you. And he goes, because this... This makes me think of your ministry and your life, you know? And basically, I thought that's interesting because that's what we're about, is what does the Lord say, man? I want to bow down before him. This is his word. We worship him. But because we worship him, Jesus says, if you love me, you know, you'll obey my commandments. And if we love him, we're going to keep his word, he says. And he that keeps my word, he says, will never see death. Your salvation comes through faith in Christ's finished work on the cross, his glorious resurrection, and following and trusting what he reveals in his word. Yeah, and Joe, one of the things, as you mentioned, because that's Paul writing to the Thessalonians, and it's really interesting because when you look at 1 Thessalonians, he commends them for accepting the word and for getting into the word. And that comes after he had already, it's not a rebuke or anything, but just saying, hey, the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And then you see that taking place, but they accept it and they were ready because they knew this came directly from God himself. Ultimately, Amen. that's what they were doing. And when Paul writes to Timothy, he even tells that the church is the pillar that holds up the truth. 
guess what? It's not the church that is the truth, Amen. but they're the ones that are the yeah. pillar, the they support that, text. that lifts it up so yeah. that we, that's what we're supposed to do. We should be lifting up and elevating the word of God because that is the very thing that guess what? It can bring someone to a place that makes them wise unto salvation. The Bible is very clear that we are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. Lest any man should boast. We are not we don't get to decide and say, oh, I get to do these works and I get to be saved, but it's this gift. But guess what? It says in Romans chapter five that we gain access into mm-hmm. the grace in which we stand by our faith. Amen. And it says by what? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the words of Christ. Amen. And so when we hold up the truth of God's word and we hold up that word that never comes back void and don't just simply go on traditions, guys, it is so important because they accepted that. And he quoted Second uh, Peter chapter three verse sixteen regarding you have Peter there who has been rebuked to his face by Paul already and he's regarding the graphe the scriptures and that's what he calls it he calls it scripture as they do the rest of the scriptures mm-hmm. interestingly enough Second Peter chapter one has one of the most important yeah. statements regarding scripture so elevate scripture to the same place one Jesus has it and the same place that Peter has it here. When we see in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21, he tells us so clearly, he brings us back to the Mount of Transfiguration. He brings us back to Jesus going there and, and having Moses and Elijah. And then he talks about hearing the voice of the Father, hearing God himself telling him how he should hear his son and how he should listen to him, right? And then he says, we now have a word more sure. More sure than what? God speaking from the clouds. So Peter says, we now have a word more sure, and it's not simply given to us by man's own initiative, but that men of God moved by the Holy Spirit wrote of God. And guess what? That's the same place that he puts Paul's writings later when he yeah. says they twist their scriptures. As they do the other scriptures. So we see the elevation of the word of God, how high we're to see it. We're supposed to see it higher than God speaking from the clouds. Amen. I mean, think about that. And we have the 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 Roman Catholics telling us we need to put a dog leash on that word. Yeah. And we need to make sure that we're the ones who tell you how to interpret it, how to understand it. This is beyond dangerous. This is death. Right. And it became death over and over again. And it's why all the heresies came out of Rome. It's why all of the murderous rampages that took place from the false teachings and the people they anathematized and the bones they dug up only to damn them because they didn't want people with the word of God. That was over the word of God that that specific incident. Right. And it's only recently, Joe, that we even see them and it's through podcasts and it's through videos and, and different, you know. Uh, apps that they're sending out to try to get back into the culture again. It's like what they always do. And now they're like, hey, let's get you with a hollow app. Let's get you uh, the word on fire with, you know, Bishop yeah. Robert Barron. And let's have Father Schmitz tell you and listen to the Council of Trent, this, you know, Trent Horn and so forth. And they do this stuff. And now it's like, oh, yeah, well, we read the Bible, too. Yeah. And it's like, no, you don't. It's interesting. They don't interact a lot with Scripture itself, no. which is kind of interesting. Why not? We know why. But when they do... They're trying to uphold, the motivation is to uphold Roman tradition, Roman teachings that come later. I'll give you one example. I did a teaching, I think it was last Wednesday, it was last Wednesday, on, uh, since we're in Reformation Week, so-called, you know, coming up here, uh, is is on Mary versus, on the Catholic Mary versus Jesus. 
And I'll give you one example which shows you our motivation. The Bible says, who the Lord look but to those who tremble at his word, right? We tremble at his word. We want, what do you say here, Lord? But Roman Catholic Church, we'll look at the scripture and they'll look at the scripture and they'll look at it through their tradition. So we looked, one of the things we looked at, and you might want to check out that message because I spent a bit of, bit of time on that, maybe 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 15. We look at Revelation chapter 12, where it talks in about, you know, a woman who's clothed with the sun and the moon and the stars, and she's clothed with 12 stars and the sun and the moon. And they say, that's Mary, the Roman Catholic Church. That's Mary. It's like, no, it's not. We've spent years going through the book of Revelation uh, tediously, but this is back down, back to how we understand what Scripture is and how it's self-authenticating. Is Scripture, quotes, or Scripture, the Bible says compare that, which is, talks about comparing that which is spiritual with spiritual. So we believe Scripture interprets Scripture. So we get to Romans 12, we see a woman, you know, clothed the sun and the moon and 12 stars, which are Revelation chapter 12. When we see Revelation chapter 12, when this woman's clothed, the sun and the moon and 12 stars, and we look at her, we say, okay, where is this? Since there's hundreds of allusions to the Old Testament, quotations and allusions uh, to the rest of the book, and it's the final book of the Bible. It's the Omega book, right? Alpha and the Omega. When we look at that book, it's quite amazing because it's really clear that that woman who the, the, the man-child comes to is Israel. And we know this, and I can prove it very easily. But the thing is, we go to Genesis around 35 or so, we see that picture of Joseph talking about the dream he had, and he tells his, his brothers and his dad gets wind of it, and he gets all upset because the sun and the moon and the 12 stars, they all bow down to him. And they're like, you're, and you know, Jacob's like, you know, you're saying you're greater than us. They know that it represents Jacob and the other, and the 12 patriarchs, ultimately. And he's saying, are you saying that, you know, who do you think you are? They understand that represents Israel because Israel comes out of Jacob's. His name changes Israel. These are his sons. And Israel comes out of these sons. But what happens is these guys, all the, you know, the, the stars, so, so to speak, the brothers that are left, they fall down before him and they bow down when they go to Egypt because they're starving to death and they don't realize it's Joseph that they'd sold into slavery and, and for, they sold for money into slavery. He's a picture of Christ, okay? Fast forward to Jesus, right? And the 12 tribes of Israel that descend from them will all bow down to Jesus one day. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But what's interesting, you go to Revelation 12, that symbolism is taken right there, Chad, from way back in Genesis, dealing with Israel, and the Messiah would come through Israel. And how we know for sure it's not the Roman Catholic Church? It's very easy. You keep reading, the man-child comes forth from this woman, and then when the Antichrist appears on the scene, the woman hides in the wilderness for 1,260 days, which also called 42 months in Revelation. It's also called, it's also a time in times, which is a year, and then two years, that's three and a half a time. It's it's three and a half years. It's the tribulation period where God nourishes and takes care of her during the tribulation period when the Antichrist is reigning in the wilderness and then he reveals himself to Israel and all, therefore it says all Israel will be saved, Romans chapter 11. So Mary's not hanging out on earth. Wait a minute, even Catholics say she was assumed to heaven, which is not true, but we believe she is in heaven. And we believe she's supposed to come back to earth and suffer under the tribulation, under the Antichrist and hide in the wilderness. God's going to take care of her there. No, it makes no sense at all. Uh, it's ridiculous. In fact, you look at what it says God protects the woman, and then he goes. Uh, then Satan goes after those who are loyal to Jesus and obey his commandments, the Christians, the church, you know, during the tribulation period. So what I'm saying, Chad, is their traditions contradict Scripture, and they'll try to find something here and there. And the point is, in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, after that, you don't see Mary. That's very early in the no New one. Testament. You okay. don't see Mary anywhere for the rest of the Bible. They just say, oh, but you can find her right here. And it's to uphold their false doctrines. So you can't trust people who are trying to uphold doctrines and then saying our doctrines trump your interpretation of Scripture when 
what we look to is Scripture, and we let Scripture interpret Scripture. We just hope and pray that to the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're watching this right now and, and you're not saved, and maybe you're you've, you've checking out, you're like, man, I've got kind of a Roman Catholic background, but now you're, man, the lights are going on. I'm like, wow, no, I want Jesus. I want his word. I tell people the easiest people sometimes lead to Christ are Roman Catholics because a lot of them believe that, you know, God, they know God's real and they believe in Jesus Christ, but they don't always understand what he did for them on the cross. They often believe they have to work their way into God's favor and suffer in purgatory. And when you share the gospel with them, that the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, that if we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, right? And we confess with mouths that he is Lord, that we'll be saved. And we share with them that we're not saved through righteous, works of righteousness that we do, but by his grace, right? And that we're saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves, the gift of God, not of works that anyone should boast. They come to Christ very easily off. And they're like, man, I just needed to hear the good news. I need to cut through all the lies of Rome. And I've been deceived for so long. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I've heard, we've seen many, many Roman Catholics come to church. I've asked how many were Roman Catholic before you came to Christ in our fellowship and all kinds of hands go up. And that's true of tens of thousands of churches around the globe. Join the one true church, the church which is membered by millions, hundreds of millions of people that know and love Jesus, that don't say I'm the only true Christian and those that belong to my movement. No, true Christians are those who truly know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, truly follow him and truly, sincerely, in their hearts, continue to trust Jesus until the end. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you guys. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.